Um, so tell me a bit about yourself. A bit about myself. <laughs> so I've been the curate at Christchurch since last July, so almost a year now, which has gone quite quickly. And I'm married and I have two young children, so that is a joy and a challenge in everyday life. And I'm originally from Sussex, so I'm adjusting to living in Surrey. But what made you want to be a curate? I mean, how long do we have tonight? The, the short answer, I think, is that, that growing up, I grew up in a, a Christian family and knew that Jesus was, was real and that I could put my, my trust and my faith in him. And then over that time, I thought I'd be a, a military historian until I was at final years of school and every time I looked at university websites, theology kept coming into my mind. So I thought, seems a bit weird look into it, looked into it, decided to change and study theology instead. And then through my time at university, I was kind of just feeling called more and more into ministry. Um, and then at the end of university, I went off to Africa for three years as a missionary, came back, did some student work and some other random jobs as well, and then eventually ended up uh, going off to college and becoming a curate. So, a bit more of a random question. If you had a superpower, what would it be and why? Uh, invisibility. Ooh. And why? I mean, why not? <laughs> Good luck with the talk. <laughs> Thanks. I mean, I should probably say that to you guys rather than to me. But... <laughs> Thanks. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can come here this evening on this beautiful night and worship your holy name. Lord, we pray that your spirit will be here this evening, that you'll be working in our hearts, that you will be teaching us more about you, and that we will become more in love with you over the course of this evening. Amen. Amen. And you're probably wondering how or why you've ended up with such a random-seeming passage. I mean, Colossians 1, verses 24 to 29, is pretty random. And that's because Sarah did what is probably my nightmare and said, you can speak on anything you like. And that always fills me with dread because I always then have panic about what I'm going to speak on and what passage I'm going to look at. But fortunately, County CU asked me to go and speak to them. And this was the passage they gave me. And this is going to be very different from what they heard but since that time, I've been thinking about this and reflecting on this passage and just asking, actually, what does it have to say to us today in the 21st century? And I think, actually, there's a lot in here. This seems to be just talking about Paul's suffering. But actually, there's a huge amount in this passage, I think, that God wants to speak to us on this evening and that we can apply directly to our lives today. Now... If you Google the most popular Bible verses, one that invariably comes up is Jeremiah 29, verse 11. And it's a verse that I'm sure all of you will have heard many times. And it says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Or other versions say, plans to prosper you. And sometimes we hear that, 
And we think, actually, if we become a Christian, everything in our life will become perfect. We won't suffer anymore. God will make us wealthy. It says he'll prosper us, that everything going forward will be perfect. But that's not Paul's experience in this letter to the Colossians, is it? He says, I suffer. I am suffering going forward. This is the greatest apostle in the church, and he says, I suffer. My life isn't perfect. Not everything is okay in my life. And so I don't know what situation you're here this evening. Maybe you're looking for a job. Maybe you've just heard you've lost your job. Maybe you know somebody who's ill. Maybe at school things don't go brilliantly for you all the time. But the good news is that that verse is true for us. But it's true in the way that God intended it to be true. And actually, it doesn't promise that we're not going to suffer in this life. As you think about who you're going to invite to your five, it might be that actually that will involve a level of suffering, a level of rejection that actually you'd rather avoid. And maybe it's easier just not to invite people because you don't want to suffer in that way. But these verses actually are good news. The idea that not everything in our life perhaps is going to be perfect gives us freedom to live in Christ. Because the alternative is, if everything is supposed to be perfect, if that's what God has promised me in the here and now, and it isn't, then either my God is a liar, or I'm not holy enough. I'm not good enough. Those are the options we're left with. So actually, as we look at these verses, let's take comfort from them. Because Paul, the greatest apostle, the person who did more to spread the early Christian message, suffered. If we look at 2 Corinthians 11, we can see the level to which Paul suffered for this gospel. In 2 Corinthians 11, he gives a list of some of the sufferings he encounters. And he says this from verse 24. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. So that was the maximum physical punishment that they could give. And it's less one because if it went to 40, it would quite often kill people and they'd be guilty of murder. That's the level of suffering that Paul endures. And he goes on from there. Three times I was, I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak, and am I not weak? Who is made to fall, and I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. As we read that, we're struck by how much Paul suffers in this. This isn't an easy thing that he's going through. So why is Paul prepared to suffer in this way? What is it that makes him go on? 
There are some strange phrases in this passage. This idea of mystery, where he speaks of things being mysterious. In some ways, it sounds almost like a Masonic handshake, and Paul's going around passing it on. But that's not it at all. Because for Paul, in that mystery is the glorious wealth. What he says is that glorious wealth is Christ. The message that he's going around telling everyone, the message that he is suffering for, even almost to the point of death, is the very message that in the past he tried to kill people for passing on. We read in the book of Acts that Paul is there when Stephen, the first Christian master, is stoned to death. So what's changed for Paul? What has flipped his life around? What is it that has meant that he's gone from somebody who persecutes to somebody who suffers? It's because he's grasped and he's seen Christ. He's seen the mystery and the fullness of life that is to be found in Jesus. He describes it as Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's the message that Paul is spreading and that he is suffering for is that Jesus died, that Jesus was God made man who lived amongst us and who was prepared to die on the cross and to rise again, that he was prepared to do that so that he could remove our sins from us, so that he could extend the invitation of God's love to us fallen humanity. He knows that this is a shocking message, but it's one that he's utterly convinced by. It's one that has gripped and taken over his entire life. The sufferings he endures now, he doesn't count. He sees them as being of no value for eternity. He's prepared to endure those things because he knows that ultimately God's plan is that Jeremiah verse, to prosper him and to heal him. But he knows that that isn't necessarily going to happen in the here and now, but it's going to happen in eternity. Of course, God is with us throughout it all. Jesus, the last thing he says to his disciples is that, when I go, I will send my comforter on you. God sends his Holy Spirit to be with us, to be in our hearts and to be amongst us. But it doesn't always mean that everything's going to be perfect or easy in this life. But what it does mean is that we know we can rely on God to be there for us. We know that our life will stretch into eternity if we've accepted this mystery that Paul is talking of. If you like books, it's maybe a bit like Tolkien in Lord of the Rings. And this is a, something that the film's changed, and I think changed in a bad way. But after Frodo has been to the mountain, he's tossed the ring in. He's got that victory. He returns to the Shire. And in the films, in the Shire is all magical. Everything's great. Nothing has gone wrong there. But in the books, when they return home, the Shire is mired by all the problems that Middle-earth has experienced. There's still suffering. There's still evil. There are still rulers who aren't looking out for their people in the Shire. The work then for the hobbits that is made clear in the books is that they need to reform it and make it right and well. And that's the challenge that is extended to us. Like Paul, we have a task and a mission. And it's to show God's love to the world around us, to be changing and influencing those areas that we interact with. We can go on. 
or if you prefer films, it's like in Saving Private Ryan, when they fought all the way there to rescue Private Ryan, to take him away from the battle, and actually they find out that they need to fight one more battle before they can get him out. They've reached him. It seems like the task is done, but it's not yet over. And that's the place we find ourselves in today. So if you're here and you don't know Jesus, then I'd say the question and the challenge is, who is Jesus? And why is it that Paul and others throughout the centuries have been prepared to suffer for him? What is the hope that people have found located in him that have meant that they have endured even death? to proclaim his name. And if you're here today and you do know Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, then remember that the Spirit is with you, that God is always with you and he hears all your concerns and your problems, but it doesn't mean that everything is going to be easy and right in our lives today. But we can boldly proclaim that we have a future hope and a future glory of a life that will extend for all time, for eternity, for an eternity that will be spent in God's presence, worshipping and praising him. I'm going to pray to close now. And then I'm going to ask that the Spirit to come. We'll have a few minutes of just responding. If anybody wants to say anything, feel free, but just respond in prayer and maybe with each other, and then the band will lead us in a song. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you sent your son to die and to suffer for us. We thank you that his death means that our sins have been dealt with once for all if we put our faith in you. Lord, we thank you that you have sent your spirit to live within us and to be amongst us. Lord, we pray that you will help us to cast all our fears and anxieties and all our suffering before you. We pray that your spirit will will bring peace to us. Father, we pray that you will send your spirit down amongst us now. We pray that you will pour your spirit out on us. We pray that you will give us soft hearts to hear what you're saying to us that will allow your spirit to work amongst us. Amen.